Welcome to the Dynasty Vipers Vipercast, where all things football are injected right to your veins. With your hosts, Matt Donnelly, Calvin Shoemake, and Jeff Mueller. What is up? And welcome to a brand new edition of the Dynasty Vipers Team Spotlight Series. I am your host at Calvin and Hobby, and we are joined by a very special panel of guests today to discuss the Cleveland Browns and uh, and really an amazing 2020. But just a lot of great things going for the Cleveland Browns, and we're here to discuss them. and And look, we're the Dynasty Vipers. We certainly think a lot about fantasy football and Dynasty fantasy football. The calendar flips over to February. We started thinking about rookies, and we should, obviously. Uh, certainly, our panel guest knows a lot about that. But we need to think about the teams that these guys are going to find themselves in as well. And so we've been ter- we've been covering all 32 teams. Today, we're stopping in, in Cleveland. And uh, to join us, we've got Mr. Matt Waldman. Matt, thank you for coming on the show. And uh, just take a couple of minutes. Just, uh, you know, you're a brand new find to this fantasy football community. Tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Well, um, I've been doing fantasy football since 2003. Um, I write at footballguides.com. I'm a, I'm a staff writer there. And I pen a column called The Gut Check, which has been around since about 2003 with a couple of sites. Um, and I also do a weekly uh column that is called the top 10 which i basically look at the nfl every week break down film and give kind of the top 10 in my opinion thoughts from looking at probably 60 to 75 percent of the games each week um and giving film breakdown examples with some sort of fantasy um thing in terms of you know implications with that and then of course what i've been doing since 2006 which is you know, pretty much my full-time career is the Rookie Scouting Portfolio, which is a publication geared towards um, really analyzing skill players, quarterback, wide receiver, running back, and tight end. And it's really a package that has a pre-draft package, a, um, a post-draft package, and then also a newsletter that all comes with it. Um, so it gives you, a, you know, I give you cheat sheets, rankings, um, film analysis, and it's you know you go on Twitter and ask around, you'll 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 learn about it from there for sure. Absolutely, and uh, looking forward to talking some Browns with you here today, and uh, also Browns fan, at least uh, most of the time Browns fan. FF Shane, uh, why don't you introduce yourself and tell everybody what you're working on and where they can find you? Yeah, hey guys, I'm FF Shane B on Twitter. I am currently the co-host for the Fantasy Nightcap, which is under the Fantasy Football Astronauts umbrella. Um, <laughs> thanks, Dan. I was go- I saw that light right behind me, wherever it is, um, and it was bothering me because of the glare. So I went to run and turn that off while Matt was introducing himself. But uh, Fantasy Nightcap is under the Fantasy Football Astronauts um, umbrella. And I'm a, the co-host for that. Then I'm a writer for 14 Personnel Pod. Another thing I'm working on is, is the Polly's Playoff um, Tournament to End Alzheimer's. So Matt had me on uh, right around the new year, I believe, to talk about that. And um, 
basically what that was is a, a charity tournament that Scott Fish really helped me inspire um, to start. And last year we had 120 people sign up. This year we're looking to get to 240. Um, so it's just a, a $10 entry fee, but it's a donation right to our team on our Walk to End Alzheimer's page. So that's what I'm working on. Shane, excited to have you in. Of course, you know, any Dynasty Viper watcher listener is going to know this guy. Uh, his name's Matt Donnelly, but you probably know him as Dingus. Uh, he's here to join us as well. Matt, appreciate you joining us for the Brown Show. Uh, absolutely. I'm contr- I'm contractually obligated to be here tonight. So um, <laughs> it's in my contract to make at least one Browns appearance. The most difficult part is for me to take the higher road when we start talking about Odell Beckham Jr., because I'm sure that's going to come up. So I'm going to be really trying to behave myself. And just to kind of touch base there with what Shane just said, uh, consider me basically a fantasy football Santa. I'm going around checking my list, making sure who's naughty, who's nice. And then at the end of the year, we do our fantasy football honors. And that's what Shane was talking about, where we recognize those in the community that are doing good. So uh, that's kind of where that whole Pauly's playoffs and uh, uh, what you call it there, fantasy football honors kind of connects. We'll certainly appreciate that. Uh, Mr. Walvin, let's we'll start with you. Like, what was it like? What's your history with the team? What's your history as a Browns fan? And uh, just tell us a little bit about what that experience has been like for you. Well, I, mean, I, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, at least for the first 10 years of my life. And so that's where I really became a fan of football. And that was, you know, during the early to mid, late 70s. And then I carried over that Browns fandom until – Pretty much um, he who shall not be named moved the team to Baltimore. Um, so that was that was my fandom at that time. I was, you know, probably heavily influenced as someone who enjoyed watching, you know, a, a tough running game a, and shut down cover corners, um, smart safety play and physical safety play with a smart quarterback who could attack downfield but also play it you know, fairly conservative if they needed to with a with a great um, head coach, you know, rest in peace and Marty Schottenheimer. So after that, and when the Browns were gone for a little while, I, I just kind of, you know, that was it was kind of hard not to, I was a diehard fan for a very long time. And part of that too is that most, a lot of my family was from Cleveland. Uh, my father though had moved to Denver when I was young and became a huge Denver Broncos fan. So we had some classic rivalries as, um, you know, father, son, watching those playoff games um, with our family. So, you know, I've actually been, I've been to quite a few Browns games, starting with uh, my first at Cleveland Municipal Stadium, watching Don Shula's Dolphins fall to the Cleveland Browns um, in overtime, which was really kind of solidified my Browns fandom. But I've actually been to more Broncos games than Browns game, but fortunately, the Browns, I mean, the Broncos have never won a game, including two playoff games every time I've gone. So <laughs> much to my much to my brother and sister's um, unhappiness, they don't ever want me back in, you know, in that field again. But I'm sure I'll be back again. But uh, that said, um, yeah, I, I kind of moved around as a fan for a while and kind of enjoyed teams that were that were modeled after the Cleveland Browns, you know, in terms of the Browns that I knew and grew up kind of that imprinting thing. So Tennessee Titans under Jeff Fisher with Eddie George and Steve McNair. And with that defense, um, you know, I became big fans of them and much like the Browns, 
They lost in heartbreaking fashion, but they got to a Super Bowl, but they lost in heartbreaking fashion. And then when that era ended and Steve McNair went on and I couldn't resolve myself to be a, a Ravens fan, even though it's like watching your it's like watching your ex-wife do well and, and you have no reason to be angry with her, um, it, you know, but uh, there I ended up becoming a Seahawks fan around the time they traded for Marshawn Lynch and then added, you know, Russell Wilson and things like that. And then and then I watched Johnny Manziel in, in Cleveland and I watched them botch a field goal that would have won a game against the Ravens. And I realized mm. that I still cared about the Cleveland Browns, um, that no matter how far away I could get from it, I was still a Browns fan. So, and I thought I would be, honestly, I really thought I would be um, over the Browns when they drafted Baker Mayfield, because I saw Baker Mayfield more as a Jeff Garcia at his best as his ceiling, as opposed to Russell Wilson, a player I also scouted and was very high on. But so I was kind of like, yay, I'm free of the Cleveland Browns. And then in the second round, they drafted the player that I thought was the top running back in that class mm. ahead of Saquon Barkley. And that was Nick Chubb. Chubb. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and can we curse on this show? No. Okay. Yeah. Then, uh, then, because I was <laughs> well, going to say, we have safe words, right? Like Avengers level. Like, think about it like PG 13 Avengers level. Yeah, then I'm not going to curse then. So if I, can't give you good, if I can't do good words, then I'm not doing them at all. So, um, but let's just say that I was like, oh, uh, I'm going to have to be a Browns fan still with Nick Chubb. But, you know, that's been my fandom. I've kind of, you know, I've still enjoy other teams. And, and to be honest with you, I'm kind of a closet Ravens fan because they play the brand of football that I grew up on. But watching that mm. Browns Ravens game this year, was fantastic because it was the first time that Cleveland looked like the Browns that I grew up on and not the zombie land version that I had been grown accustomed to over the past, you know, 20 years that they've been back. I think that's a really cool story. And like, you know, having listened to you for a long time with the audible and all that, I, I knew that some of that history with the, your fandom with the Browns and Shane doesn't know this, but that's kind of why I asked him too. I know he's kind of got a similar story. So Shane, what is, what is your history with being a Browns fan? So I'm more of a, I would almost call myself a, a bandwagon Browns fan. If you can, can be that. Um, and Matt, you're probably not mm. going to like this, but I actually started cheering for the Browns when they drafted Baker Mayfield. Hey, must um, a lot of people did. So that's cool. <laughs> Baker it was, I loved him coming out of college. He's my favorite player right now. Um, I just, I relate to him as an athlete and I don't know if that's a good thing or not. Um, <laughs> But I, I love Baker, and then, like you said, they drafted Chubb, and I thought that was an excellent pick. So then I started cheering for them that year, and then they traded for Odell. So other Matt's not going to like that either. But Odell was one of my favorite players, um, also because of the the catch, because that was against my other favorite team. Um, and I think that's probably why why Cal had me on here is I've got multiple favorite teams for, for different reasons. So um, I'm a Cowboys fan because my dad and his dad are, are Cowboys fans. So I grew up cheering for them. And then my mom's side of the family is from Kenosha, Wisconsin. So they're all huge Packers fans from my grandfather down to my cousins who are younger than me. Um, so I, I really cheer for three teams and I've always had kind of an AFC team. And so now I'm my AFC team is the Browns because of Baker before it was the, the Colts and actually the Broncos because of Peyton Manning. So that's kind of how I became a Browns fan. 
So I, I know for myself, I'm kind of a historian of the game, and that's kind of where I, my roots lie. Uh, as a Canadian, I grew up, I'm a Raiders fan. So try and put those two and two together. It's pretty hard to understand a Raiders fan in Canada. But I fell in love with the 70s Raiders and reading the stories and hearing these stories. And I wasn't even around when those Raiders teams were there, but you you fall in love with the store, with Elzado, with Stabler. You fall in love with these names and these stories. Then you hear these stories much later, and you, feel, you find out how crazy these guys were. Now, I don't know, Shane, but Matt, there, when you guys go back and you look back at the Browns' history, the Otto Grams and the 10 championship seasons and 10, uh, 10 championship games and 10 championship seasons kind of thing, do you guys go back in the history of the Browns and kind of – study that allure so to speak oh yeah so i mean i was one of those kids that though um i'll just put it to you this way i was a kid who was a latch i was a latchkey kid in cleveland ohio who basically my favorite things to do were to play football read about football and watch football um and so what that would wind up being is that if um i I would go to the library and check out books on like the history of the Browns and the history of football, usually the day before in elementary school, then come home, then pretend that I got sick, call my mom at work, tell her that I was staying home. And then I would just sit there and read about all of those. And, and, I, and I'd watch the Raiders of that. I was a Raiders fan myself. How could you not be? I mean, they were, a, that, that was a fun team to watch with those offensive lines with shell and with, um, it, you know, with Stabler and with Lester Hayes and then Mike Haynes later in the 80s, but they were just a ragtag group. And watching, you know, the history of the Browns, I mean, my whole family grew up in that era of the Browns when they were in their dominance. And I, I basically became a Browns fan who was watching them when they were trying to rebuild. And then they almost got to a point where they, you know, they had three straight AFC championship appearances. And that was the closest that I got. It was heartbreaking because this, especially for people like my parents' age and my grandparents' age, who grew up watching them and had such pride um, in that team and seeing it on the precipice and it just not working out. Um, so yeah, you know, having a Jim Brown Jersey, that's, Hey, listen, man, that's, yeah. that's royalty. But I gotta say, I gotta say this. Are you a wrestling fan at all, Matt? I do follow wrestling there. In fact, we had a show on there with Rank, and we just went like 90% wrestling after that. Dude. It was 0% football. Dude, my, my cousin who lives in Cleveland has kind of a stash like you, but when I see that stash with that head, I, I can't help but think of a guy around our, our childhood by the name of Ox Baker. I don't know if you know the wrestler Ox Baker, but oh, you've got a stash that rivals Ox, man. <laughs> it, it is it. pretty impressive. I totally dig it. I totally dig it. I didn't know where that was going, but I love it. That's that's exactly what we want right here. Um, so well, Calvin, you know as well as anybody. Calvin, yeah, you know ahead. as well as anybody. I'll, I'll find. I'll go with the show sheet. We'll, we'll take it right off that altogether. <laughs> but, right. Uh, you you, you have to Google like, Oxbaker. You you mentioned 2019. You mentioned like um or you know you mentioned like some some failures and some downtimes for the Browns. Obviously, in 2019 was a time where. Freddie Kitchens, you know, just at oh times like, hey, look, I'm, I'm just a guy, but he looked like he just wasn't quite right for that role. Um, and then the Browns went out and made like just an unbelievable hire, right? bringing in Kevin Stefanski. Obviously, that worked out pretty well, one coach of the year, but not just him. I mean, he brought in Alex Van Pelt. 
maybe the, then maybe the best offensive line coach in the league. And then a move that I thought was really nice is uh, Stefanski bringing over a guy familiar with to him, but Case Keenum, who I think you know may have played a really nice role in in helping to mentor Baker. I mean, just seemed like a great influence for him. Um, Matt, what did you notice that was different about this 2020 version of the Browns that helped them go 11 and five and beat the Steelers in the playoffs than what we saw in 2019? Well, I think the biggest difference has to be the offensive line. Um, first of all, this is a it's a healthy unit. It was a stronger unit than being able to draft that, you know, the top player out of Alabama, in my opinion, really the top lineman out of Alabama. And to be able to get him um, at left tackle was just an amazing boon for them. And so to solidify that line was helpful because Baker Mayfield, when you look at him at his best, give him opportunities to make quick decisions um, where he can get rid of the ball fast, that he can get rid of the ball off that first read or the quick second read, use the play action game, allow him to roll out of the pocket by design and to be able to throw the ball downfield. And you're going to have a player who can be very accurate, who can make big plays for you. And I think that that's where, you know, Kevin Stefanski working with Kirk Cousins, who was a player who, much like Baker Mayfield, when there's weaknesses, it's it's his uh, it's the difficulty being able to make plays under pressure, where staying in the pocket, stepping up in the pocket, knowing when to step up in the pocket and make the throw, um, understanding really when to stay kind of within the confines of the game and manage it well, and to be able to be on target after you have to move. You know, the thing with Mayfield is that the quick game's great for him, but you ask him to step up in the pocket, make that second or third read and do it on time or or see something in the red zone in the compressed area of the field on time. And he's usually a beater too late. He was a beater too late at Oklahoma doing that. Um, but at Oklahoma, he was playing against a lot of Big 12 teams that spread the field out, that didn't play a lot of man-to-man, that didn't play tough. Um, and they were playing against guys like me on defense. Right. So as a result of that, with us, you know, trying to defend them, um, you know, and and probably looking at Calvin, probably having the best shot of not being gassed, um, you know, probably, you know, once you face a team like the Georgia Bulldogs that played man-to-man, played tight, and could rush four, you could see where projecting towards the NFL, that was going to be tough for him. So Stefanski did a really great job of being able to focus on the run game the way Freddie Kitchens wouldn't, um, and really focus on allowing Nick Chubb to run downhill, using Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb together in ways that they, they were interchangeable in many respects, not saying, well, Nick Chubb's not going to be a receiver, even you know allowing him to catch the ball because he's, he's a skilled all-around football player, and focusing on that run game, beefing that up, and then giving Baker Mayfield the opportunity to play with leads or play in situations where defenses couldn't pin their ears back and attack him. And when they were able to stay in the game, Baker Mayfield was able to play reasonably well. I It sounds like a pejorative thing to say, but I think it's, you know, Baker Mayfield is obviously an NFL caliber quarterback, um, and I'm not trying to be mean about it, but I think the best way I'd put it is that just like with Minnesota, Kevin Stefanski kind of gave training wheels for the offense for Baker Mayfield so that there were certain things wouldn't veer him off track. And I think that at least for year number one, this was that opportunity to really 
work on their strength and allow Baker Mayfield not to have to be um, playing to overcome his weaknesses on a regular basis. And as and you know, there there are guys like Carson Wentz who just got traded, who who certainly is a guy that I would say needs training wheels a lot. Jared Goff, um, you know, these are guys that have at least had teams that have been to Super Bowls or have been a big part of taking their teams to Super Bowls. So a lot of people feel like if you don't have an elite quarterback, then you have a bad quarterback. I would say if you if you have that take, you probably haven't been watching football long enough and you're not used to looking at exceptions to the rule. Um, and there are not a lot of exceptions, but that's because the best teams are the exceptions. And you can say that Colin Kaepernick was an exception to the rule. Trent um, Dilfer was an exception to the rule. Rex Grossman. There you go. Exactly. So you can get to the Super Bowl and be competitive. Um, And certainly having a great quarterback, as we saw with, you know, Patrick Mahomes, he was making some unbelievable throws, but he didn't have an offensive line. And if he had an offensive line, that game would have been a lot different, most likely, than mm-hmm. what we saw. And so even the the Bucks receivers are sitting there watching that game and going, "Did you see the, the you see what he's doing?" But you know they're getting creamed because even a great single player like a quarterback who makes such a difference, well, I'd rather have the strong team. And I think with Baker Mayfield, we're seeing that is that they can continue to work him, move him forward, and I think that they're on the right track because of the infrastructure that they have. And Jimmy Garoppolo just the year before, I mean, is another example of a quarterback that, you know, he's, he's not Pat Mahomes level, but yeah, I mean, it got his team, right system, right coach, you know, right combination, all of that. Um, Shane, what about 2020 for you? I mean, anything to add there as far as the you know, Brown season, anything you noticed? Uh, change, yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally agree with Matt that the biggest difference for me was the offensive line. Um, Baker in 2019 had one of the worst offensive lines and had the least amount of time to actually throw the ball. And it seemed like Freddie kitchens was always calling four verticals. So Mm. Baker was having to wait for these routes to develop and didn't have the protection. And I mean, you guys know I'm the biggest, one of the biggest Baker truthers out there on, on Twitter, but he didn't have the skill set to do that. Um, with the offensive line that he had in 2019. Loved the signing of Jack Conklin. I knew from then that we were going to make a huge step in offensive line. And then, like Matt said, we got the tackle from Alabama. Um, That was the one area that I wanted to address in in last offseason to help Baker Um, because I I think Baker is going to be good enough to lead the Browns to a Super Bowl with the team constructed like it is. So kind of like what Matt said, like everything's got to be – I, I think you've got to construct your team in a way that you know it's going to work, and, and Stefanski's done that. Um, and also, like Matt said, not necessarily confining Chubb to the between the tackles or just the running back and Kareem just the receiving back. I think one of the best plays in the playoffs was when he called a screen for Chubb against the Steelers. And, I mean, I think it was a 30, 50-yard play, something like that, and it was Chubb. It wasn't Kareem Hunt. So, um I think the the offensive line and the coaching were two humongous differences from 2019. Um, and again, if you if you're following me on Twitter, you know that I was calling for Freddie Kitchens to be fired from about week eight on um, in 2019. So um, I was not a fan, and I love Kevin Stefanski. 
And one That's little fun note that I forgot to add when we were talking about my fandom is one of the first jerseys that I actually owned was Tim Couch. Have wow. no idea why, but my dad bought me a Tim Couch jersey. So Tim Couch no. was the real deal coming out of college. I really thought the Browns found themselves a fantastic quarterback uh, watching him out of Kentucky there. Uh, kind of ties in here. You just mentioned you feel that the Browns roster is constructed in a way that it can be competitive and be a contender for the Super Bowl going into 2021. Now, I don't want to get everyone in Cleveland excited, but this is the offseason, and rumors love to get going, and yeah. there's no one better at starting rumors in Cleveland than uh, Mary Kay herself. Yeah. And <laughs> if, they, if there's not a story, she'll find a story to put out there. That's my opinion, so I'll, uh, you guys can reserve your own rights there because you probably hear a lot more from her than I do. But J.J. Watt seriously considering Cleveland as a possible option. Who wouldn't want to go to a team that's got a quarterback, already has a fine – combination there with Sheldon Richardson, uh, Miles Garrett. Uh, that line is already, um, Vernon's already there still. You've got the pieces already there. you got a good secondary. you got an improving linebacking core. So the pieces are already there. Now, um, obviously Green Bay, Buffalo, there's some other teams that are all in the mix too, but there is very serious interest in J.J. Watt going to Cleveland, which also kind of plays into what we're going on here is Cleveland Rumors is where we're kind of heading with this. So we're going to touch on J.J. Watt here first because this kind of, in my opinion, if they land J.J. Watt, completely changes their draft board here in a couple weeks. So uh, what are your thoughts, uh, Matt, on J.J. Watt and the potential meeting with Cleveland? I would love it if that would happen. And I think that what that does for you is it just allows you to do, you know, go about the draft differently. And it also is going to encourage other veterans to sign who are maybe aging guys who can help coach some of the younger players. So for an example of that, as far as him being like, say, the first domino in a set of dominoes to fall, if J.J. Watt goes on to that team, then you could look to somebody like, say, Richard Sherman, possibly. Maybe not a guy who's at the height of his powers anymore, but still a decent cornerback who might even be more valuable to the younger cornerbacks on that team as a veteran in terms of helping them, you know, not only – because – you know, we'd like to talk about coaching and coaching players up, but in the NFL, one of the biggest fallacies is that players get coached up by coaches. They get coached up by veterans, and they get coached up in the offseason um, when they work at their craft. They get coached up on scheme and playbook when that's most of their time when they're in, you know, when they're in a facility, when it's about how they use their hands, how they move their feet, how they react, to, you know, how to study game film how to really look at the nuances of their one-on-one -on -one opponent or certain coverages and certain subsets of things that actually spell the difference between being a good athlete who plays a position and being a, a Pro Bowl caliber player. Guys like Richard Sherman at the end of their career coming here would be fantastic. So if, AJ, if J.J. Watt comes, you know, obviously that's going to be fantastic for the defense. They'll be able to have a little bit more of a rotation too. They might be able to get a second player involved there you know or they they can draft a younger player who's maybe like the houston um you know the houston defensive end um i can't remember his name right off the bat but he's a guy that's projected as like a second or third round player who is a you know really fantastic athlete and they might be able to you know be able to have a 
someone like Watt being able to mentor him, he and Miles Garrett, and they can use him in a rotation um, and get somebody a little bit later there. And they could focus on something like, say, slot receipt, you know, slot corner, you know, have a, have a guy who maybe be able to play both outside and inside or maybe a safety who can play in Joe Wood's three safety system or the three safety looks that he liked to use um, and kind of have some versatility there, especially with the fact that my favorite player in last year's draft, Grant Delpit, got hurt. And now we don't know what exactly is going to happen with him. And, and if he can come back, I'd say to 90 to 95% of what he was, you know, as a, as a sophomore, um, I think that you're getting a special talent who is going to, you know, because everybody looks at the Cleveland Browns scheme of what they were last year. Well, the Cleveland Browns scheme of what they were last year defensively was based on what they had talent around them, not necessarily what they'd like to do. And I think that we, so when we have mock drafts that say, well, they like to play different safeties, well, or they, or they want to get linebackers like Jacob Phillips. Well, I mean, Jacob Phillips was a nice player for them. And maybe the, maybe, you know, height, weight, maybe he does match some of what Stefanski looks for in a linebacker. But like that Tulsa linebacker who's what, 260 and who can run like a deer? I, I don't think they're going to have, they, I don't think they're going to have any problem, you know, fitting him in their scheme if they want to use oh. him and not just go for like the Missouri cat who's like pretty good in coverage, um, but may not be like the run and hit guy that you're, that you'd like to get. So I, you know, for me, Watt frees up their opportunities to to kind of look for a best wish list of, of players, whether that's Asante Samuel Jr. as the as the slot corner mm-hmm. who can play be a little more versatile, or whether it's the safety out of Tulsa, or whether it's you know the linebacker out of or not the the, it's the safety out of TCU. I was thinking about Mooring, who can kind of give you yeah. a little bit of both. And then the the Tulsa linebacker who I can't remember his name, but you know, Zayden Collins. That's him. That's right. So love me. Some, this is this is a total Zayden uh, Collins fan page right here. Oh, I yeah. love me some Collins. <laughs> uh, Shane, what do you think? Um, you know, have you been hearing anything about you know JJ Watts or the Browns? I mean, obviously, defensive end is a pretty big uh, you know need, and shoring up the defense, I think, is got to be something that they is front and center this off this off season. No, I I love everything that Matt just said, and I I haven't seen anything solidifying that he is coming here, but I, I want him. Um, and Matt, you bringing up like Richard Sherman coming on to help our, our young secondary. I feel like people kind of forgot about Delpit. Uh, Greedy Williams was hurt all year. Like those are two stud defensive backs um, to pair with um, Denzel Ward. So I'm just like, if we brought in a, a Sherman to kind of mentor that whole group, and you've got J.J. Watt, like you said, to add some rotation in on the defensive line, then I think we can address and, – and our young our linebacking core is young, but I, that would be somewhere that I would kind of want to look at is if we if we did get Watt and Sherman or even just Watt, I'd want to address the linebacking core just to get a stud in there because we didn't have anyone over 91 tackles um, this year. So we need – in my opinion, kind of a box-to-box linebacker that's going to be able to make those stops um, on every play or every other play, you know? Um, and, Jeff, no, I'm not going to stop stealing your players. <laughs> um, but then, Music City Miracle. <laughs> there you go. Um, 
but then another like another type of player that I want to address in the draft is actually a wide receiver because I think Odell does get traded. I and it hurts me to say this because Odell is my second favorite player, but I would really like him to get traded because I think Baker's better without him. And we've got too many guys, in my opinion, that kind of do the same thing. So I'd love to draft like a Deami Brown or a um, Elijah Moore, someone who's a speed guy, someone that can take the top off the defense. Um, so Matt, what do you think about that kind of player for a, a wide receiver? I, I, first of all, I got to say, I'm sorry I cut deep, but at least you've been <laughs> into the Super Bowl a number of times. So we haven't even gotten there. So, um, <laughs> but that said, um, yeah, I mean, in terms of, you're asking about wide receivers in terms yeah. of yeah, wide like, receivers and, and trading and and whether we should trade Odell Beckham. I mean, like I'd like to keep Odell Beckham, um, but in, I mean, in in theory, from a talent standpoint, yes, I totally agree with you. But from like a, a team chemistry standpoint, I don't know if he works, and it it hurts. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that for I think the difficulty with with Odell is that. <laughs> you don't know whether his best years were with the New York giants. And I mean, most people are probably would assume that they, they were. And now that, that, you know, maybe in terms of his, his state, in terms of how he approaches the game, it's changed. I don't want to, I don't want to speculate too much with that because I just don't know. I mean, all I know is what I do know is that last year, Baker Mayfield came into camp and said, yeah, I really didn't work that hard in the way that I needed to under Freddie kitchens. So to me, hearing that, um, you know, he he really got a great second chance um, in, you know, in terms of his opportunity to, like, make the most of this because this was it for him this year, Baker Mayfield. A hundred percent agree. Yeah, because yeah, if you – first of all, I mean, you, you can look at so many other teams where a quarterback says – if a quarterback's like, yeah, I wasn't taking this as seriously as I should have, and they're forever a backup. They are never getting the shot, even though they had the talent to possibly be a starter. You screw that up. The the, the one thing your quarterback has to be is the first in and last out. Um, mm. and, and you can't be the guy that people are like, oh, he spends more time playing video games than he does. There's some guys in Denver that did that, um, that, you know, than they were actually, you know, working at their craft. So Mayfield got that shot. I think that Beckham is a guy that, they might look at him and be able to say, "Look, this is this is your team on the precipice. You like you love football. This is your shot to be on a Super Bowl winning team, or are you more about the stop, stats? Are you more about accumulating catches and yards? If you're more about that, this is not going to be the team." I and Mike asked a great question about that. I I think that it, he can fulfill the role in Cleveland's offense because wide receiver at the level that you would see with other wide open offenses is not nearly as important um, for Cleveland. It, you know, it's a play action based, you know, crossing route type of offense where yet you're not going to be leaning as hard on those receivers. So I think Donovan people Jones can possibly grow into that with his physical potential as a player, but he's not going to give you, he's not going to give you that deep, speed, deep, contested catch skill that the, that OBJ can give you at the elite level, but he can give you enough of it 
to be that the Browns won't miss him as long as their run game is still the number one thing going on that offense. Yeah. So do you guys think that maybe the problem with Odell Beckham Jr. is maybe if they get him to move in with Baker Mayfield into the stadium, that that might make a difference? <laughs> I That or like they did with Baker, threatened him with eviction. I was hoping for an eviction. <laughs> I was hoping for an eviction commercial until, you know, he started to turn things around this year. So um, you know, I'm happy for staying in that regard. I think the turning <laughs> Thanks, point, man. like if Baker, if Baker invites him to that that book club he's got going on there, you know, that could be, that could be, a, big, <laughs> that could be a deal breaker. That, that could change things around. At least get, at least, you know, at least offer him to go to a restaurant where you can get a Polish, you know, I, mean, I think that would be at least worthwhile. So I have a, um, we, we talked a little bit about the draft and le like, let's go ahead and dive in a little bit about what the Browns might do, but I got a theory that I'm just going to toss out to you. So um, you guys have already mentioned a, quite a few of these guys, right? Grant Delpit, you mentioned uh, Jacob Phillips a little while ago, Matt, uh, Gray, Greedy Williams. There's also Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry. Cleveland likes LSU players. What about at 22, a guy like Terrence Marshall, maybe? Going in and filling in that role there in Cleveland. What about somebody like that? No, Matt Donnelly, no you're shaking your head. No one likes LSU. They're forced to take those guys. Seriously. Cleveland, Cleveland likes them. They do. Cleveland was like the wingman of the draft. They're like, oh, man, all the Alabama players have got fine. Give us an LSU. <laughs> I'm an LSU fan, by the way, and Matt's an Alabama fan. So that's, that's okay. Oh, Matt that's Donnelly, you just lost so many points with me. <laughs> That's okay because teams are better in the SEC, but Georgia makes the better pros. That's all I can say. There you go. Oh, Matt <laughs> Waldman, you just hurt me deep too. <laughs> Y'all know who my favorite college football team is, right? No, no, I, I do not. It's no. Auburn. Oh, oh wow, look at the <laughs> SEC covered in here. There look at that. Go. I worked yeah, in Georgia right. for 10 years. I mean, what do you want me to tell you? I mean, so. <laughs> there you go. That's fair. Uh, so, so yeah, but obviously uh, Terrence Marshall, whatever. But like, just you know, I guess what what are your thoughts on you know we've mentioned a few names already, but just you know guys that they could target in the draft. Well, I mean, if he drops to them at the right value, why not? I mean, he's certainly a terrific player, and I think that he gives them a lot of value um, if he drops at that point. But making him a priority, say first or second round, I would say no. They they have other needs. This is not a receiver led offense you know so for me build on a strength rather than shore up a potential weakness or a perceived we're going to get rid of odell beckham so we need to find a replacement to that that's going to be equally as talented but not as polished and um and in a role that's not going to be as great so well as family who were osu got you know most of my family went to osu and i grew up on ohio state they they're pretty good they're pretty good but uh <laughs> <laughs> that Maurice Claret, though. Um, but uh, I will say <laughs> he actually was pretty good. But um, come to, you know, when we talk about Marshall, I mean, to me, there's going to be enough depth at this wide receiver class that we can mm -hmm. be looking at guys that that can make a, 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 a nice impact at a much later cost. Yep. So, totally agree. So when, I'm, when I look at this draft class, and this is kind of my little thing here. I'm looking at the Cleveland Browns at pick 26 here. Uh, they got some options. Now, the J.J. Watt makes a big difference what they do here with the first-round pick. I think if they land J.J., 
they probably steer away from the edge in the first round. Because the first round, they're probably looking at uh, Rousseau, Phillips, uh, Pay might be there. Those guys are all possible options there. Uh, we talked about that need at corner. J.C. Horn could drop down to 26 as an option there. So I think corner and edge are probably their slot corner probably more than anything. You can get him a little bit later. But if you want that corner, because Denzel Ward has not been healthy, Greedy Williams hasn't been healthy, you want to maybe sure up that. Uh, the edge is something you want to sure up. Linebacker is something we all talk about. Now you have Zayvon Collins there, and you also have Jeremiah Wasu, who could also drop down, because we know where the devaluation of linebackers is almost as up to that same point as the devaluation of running backs when it comes to the draft. So linebackers could easily drop down to that 26 spot, and that all kind of depends on how uh, the draft kind of falls for them. But I think those are some serious options that they'd have to consider there. And if you're looking at that wide receiver, I'm so glad that you mentioned that their need is more in the slot if they're looking for that. Now, right now, they can go Jarvis Landry in one slot, and they can go Kareem Hunt. They can bounce him in the other slot. But if you're looking for a first-round receiver to plug in there, which I don't think they do, Rondell Moore fits that bill. A little yeah. gadget guy. A guy can do a little bit of everything. Jet sweep I'd after. love that. But if you want to go for the discount version of Rondell Moore, maybe in the third round, you look at Elijah Moore as a possibility there too there from go. Mississippi. So there you've got those you go. options there in which you can work with. And that's kind of where I see the Cleveland Browns going. That slot receiver, because people don't understand, the outside receivers in Cleveland don't do nothing. And Shane kind of hit the, the nail on the head here when they the Odell Beckham moving on forced Baker to trust his other targets a little bit more. Uh, Rashad Higgins, even though he still couldn't catch, he still tried to throw him the ball. We've seen that. They have chemistry. I, I don't know why, but they've always had chemistry together. But like you said, he uh, Higgins can't catch. If you look at the Chargers, what they did, once Keenan Allen went down and Justin Herbert wasn't forcing the ball into Allen all the time, he started getting Johnson and Guyton and Henry mm -hmm. and started spreading the ball, you really seen Herbert kind of step that game up. And I think that was the same thing with Baker this year. He didn't have to force that ball into Odell Beckham Jr. Now, Odell Beckham Jr., he's a fantastic athlete. He is one of those guys you can count on. He's a difference maker. He's a playmaker. Uh, you get the ball in his hands, he can take it to the house any chance he gets. But it's almost like you mentioned, Baker was almost forcing himself to get him the ball to make the plays, where that outside receiver is not really a high priority for the Browns because they pound the ball so much. And a little bit of misdirection on the slot receivers, I think that's the difference there. So I want to, uh, I guess, you know, if there's anything else you want to add on the draft, you know, definitely do. Any other targets in free agency? Um, but, uh, yeah, like, is there any other pieces, I guess, that you think of when you think of this team that we haven't already already covered that you think they could target either through the draft or through free agency? Either one of you guys? Well, through the draft, I'll say offensive line. As good as the offensive line is, it, I'd still think that, as we saw with the Chiefs, they had a good offensive line at the beginning of the year. Then they had one guy go off and volunteer and opt out. And then they had a bunch of injuries, and you can mm -hmm. see the difference that that made with, with a, a, a an extremely talented offense with a great coaching staff in terms of offensive minds. You know, so to me, you you need to. Um, I think a lot of the fallacy about team building is we need to we need to shore up all our weaknesses, and mm. and it's kind of like no, you need to build on your strengths because there the, there's a theory that's out there when you talk about team building, whether you're managing people or you're managing yourself or looking at 
whatever it is you're doing on a highly competitive level, you're always going to have some weaknesses. And yes, you want to focus on shoring them up to a degree, but there's a reason why they're weaknesses. And, and the thing is, is that if you can build on your strength, then that actually does shore up some of those weaknesses, especially if like, you know, if your weakness is wide receivers, but your quarterback has certain weak flaws, then now you've got a, now you're showing up wide receiver and you're counting on your quarterback to be shored up, which is like, no, why don't you focus on what the quarterback does well and then focus on what's going to keep him doing it well, which is we need depth along that offensive line so that if Wilkes gets hurt or, you know, Conklin gets hurt or, you know, that they're able to have somebody step in and that they're not dealing with, well, this guy's been off the street and he doesn't even know our protection plan and we're going to have to coach him up, you know, in the huddle or like at the line, you know, as the play's going on while, you know, Watts on the other side, you know, you know, the Watts of the world and the Judons and, you know, and, and Carl Lawson and, and, and that whatever goes on in that division that, you, mm -hmm. you know, basically is makes the AFC North, if you ask me, one of the most fun divisions is because you've got some defensive terrors, you know, in terms of how they play. And it's a rough, it's a rough division in terms of how they play historically. So that's, and, that's, and you, and you kind of mentioned it there with the whole division, the offensive line, you, you guys experienced a bit of a, uh, injury bug hitting your offensive line late in the season too, where you guys are going to your second and third string tackles and guards to go against the TJ Watts. Yeah. And to have a guy yeah. like I am, I mean, that worked out, but I'm um, go ahead. Yeah, please. Yeah. I wanted to, sorry. I, I, I didn't know you were going to jump in there, uh, Matt Donnelly, but uh, I, this question came in from Mike Verde, Valverde a little bit ago. And I thought this would be a great question uh, for, for you guys, but which 2021 running back rookie can use Nick Chubb type leverage and balance to break tackles? Uh, there was a couple of interesting answers in the comments, but I'm just kind of curious if do you have a Nick Chubb type running back in this draft, Mr. Waldman? No, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely not. But um, no, I mean there there's there are going to be a lot of people that are going to cop some players to Nick Chubb. And if you want to talk about the balance to do so in terms of being able to get low pad level, drive through defenders, push them backwards, and be able to win contact, uh, you know, and collisions against box level players, line sometimes linemen, mostly linebackers, then guys like Javante Williams and um, Ramondre Stevenson are certainly guys that are going to be able to do that. But Javante Williams does not have Nick Chubb's level of juice in terms of acceleration, in terms of movement, in terms of vision and decision-making to see three moves ahead the way that Nick Chubb can. Um, you know, Nick Chubb is a once-in-a-generation type of talent um, that a lot of people, it's just, you know, it it's becoming more apparent that he is. Yes, yes. You, oh, my God, okay. that's I love perfect. It. I love it. Because you know, I need my I need a Jim Brown jersey, but I do have a Nick Chubb jersey. But uh, but uh, I'm not wearing it today. But the but the thing is, is yeah. In terms of backs, Javante Williams certainly is a good tackle breaker. So are so. What about Najee? Najee Harris is a Najee Harris has the ability to 
move the way Nick Chubb does, kind of like a scat back in terms of being able to make the jump cuts and, and movement there. And he certainly can break tackles, um, but he doesn't have that level of, of pop. You see him break through a lot of wraps. He's more of a Chris Carson momentum type of runner in that yeah. regard um, than he is a Nick Chubb. That's really interesting. I noticed you didn't have a Braylon Edwards jersey underneath there, Matt. That was just uh, no, no Braylon Edwards or Derek Anderson? Well, I can keep going, but it, get, it gets less and less. <laughs> <laughs> we, we already got the Chubb out, so I'm just saying. <laughs> That's when you know it's about time to wrap the show up. But, Don't uh, make me uh, use my safe word. <laughs> I, was the the same same thing. Thing. I wish I had one, but... <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm I um yeah, I think that pretty much is a wrap on the Browns right there. I think that pretty much covers the team. I mean, talked, you know, we talked about a lot a lot of the weapons. Uh other than one guy I wanted to mention to you. I wanted to mention David Njoku and just uh, you know, like he's he was a little bit unhappy with the, with the team and his role and his, you know, a couple of comments coming out about his playing time. Um is there a good fit around the league that maybe he could, you know, if you're if you're a David Njoku fan that you're hoping that he lands in Shane or Matt, either one of you guys, any, any team that basically can make sure that they provide the supportive environment that will allow him to grow up and, mm -hmm. and actually mature and realize that if he caught the ball more consistently and focused <laughs> on blocking and that he didn't make, the mistakes that he made all the way up to the point before he got um, was a part of the, the Stefanski regime that maybe complaining was a dumb idea because he's an unbelievably talented player, physically talented player who started to show up a little bit when Cleveland said, okay, yeah, we'll make some phone calls or we'll look around. I, I didn't hear anything but a pin drop when they did, at least from mm. what we're seeing, so, which probably was the message to, to Njoku and his agent, which was like, shut the F up and actually start working. You're on a good team. You could be a big deal on this team. They could use you in that mm -hmm. slot role. They could use you in that wingback role. You're in a prime opportunity. Why would you want to leave here? Oh, because now you got a little competition, you know, and a draft pick. Really? That's why you're leaving? You think other teams are going to want you because, ooh, I want out because I have to compete for my job? Yeah, that to me was what that looked like. Whether that was true or not is a different story, but that's the perception that I had just watching it. So with that in mind, what do you think about Washington? Washington. As, a, as a fit for Njoku. I, I would personally, like, I don't mind keeping him. Because, like you said, I, I'd want him to grow up. I still think he's extremely talented. Um, I almost like him better than Hooper, which I still don't understand why we why we paid Hooper as much as we did when we. It didn't seem like we used Hooper enough um, for what we paid him. But so I'd love to still see Njoku there. But what do you think is uh, um, Washington as a possible fit for Njoku? Well, I think that it could be. The one thing I'll, I'll mention Austin Hooper is someone who covers the Falcons a lot and watch a lot of Hooper. One thing that he does unbelievably well is block. Um, he is a very good blocker. Sense. <laughs> yeah. And so that helped, that helped in that regard. And he's also, he's good in those shallow areas where he can make the first man miss. But 
Um, but he's not a he's he's not that athletic juice type player, you know. As Mike said, Ricky Dudley, I love the reference. Um, had him on a fantasy team way back in the day. For <laughs> Ohio State, Ohio State has the best players. So <laughs> uh, you know. Um, so, but when we look at uh, except quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> See, there you go. Always, he makes the best pros. Ricky Dudley. There we go. Um, I'm just ragging, but uh, but when we talk about Washington, I mean, I, I certainly think that it would be a nice weapon for them. Um, but again, do you want a guy like that who, at the end of the day, you want to make sure he can block, and and they've got a, a running game that's promising with Antonio Gibson. Um, I would say. They have some really good blockers at tight end on that on that team. So, what does that do to the rest of the scheme that they're looking for to put Dudley in there? It's kind of like I don't know if he would fit there unless he just takes some mature pills and and <laughs> and when he does, he he figures out that he could be a really great all around tight end. And if that happens, any team would want him. I, I don't know I if it's just general. I don't know if it's just because Jeff is in the chat room, but Buffalo would be a lot of fun for him. I just think that'd be so cool with Josh Allen throwing him in the ball. Like that would be, that'd be, that'd be awesome to me. Yeah. See, yeah. see, I thought Washington, because you mentioned like needing to mature and whatnot, and they've got a coach that's no nonsense. Like Rivera's not going to put up with that crap. So yeah. that's kind of where my train of thought came in and they need more receiving weapons outside of Terry McLaurin and, and Gibson. Um, so that's kind of what my train of thought was there. But I, I mean, yeah, I totally agree with you. He's just got to grow up. And for me, I think Pittsburgh would be, cause they're used to handling immature players. So Tomlin can handle an immature player and they do have a need yeah. at, at the tight yeah. end position because Ebron can't catch anything. So, and, and as a, as a, a guy who respects the Steelers at the very least, I would say that, and I've talked to players who've been around the league. They will tell you that as much as the media doesn't, or fans don't seem to be big fans of Mike Tomlin, Mike Tomlin runs a pretty darn good program. And the and the players will tell you that his culture in terms of taking the job seriously, the way the players feel like that they are um, enabled to be top flight pros and they teach each other and it's a supportive environment. Um, and it's one that doesn't, you know that's all about football. I would say that's a that's a great place for him to have a chance to rehab. And Washington, if they want a, a Miami tight end, they could just draft one. Brevin Jordan certainly is, mm. a, is a very appealing prospect on that in that regard. And honestly, that I like that. That's actually that was my one college team because that's where I first went <laughs> to school. So. I, I kind of like Logan Thomas, though. I don't know. I kind of think he's a yep. he's a good he's a good tight yeah. end there. Um, yeah, Buffalo but, had him. Uh, what happened there? Do what? Buffalo had oh, him. Yeah, right. He, it's like he needed a change of scenery. Needed to go to a different team. And hey, maybe that can happen with uh, David and Joku too. But can can Harris real quick? Can Harris and Bryant be better than Hooper or in Joku? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, I totally think so. I think so too. I love him. I, I, I think he's good. Um, well, good. And uh, look, Gary, he mentions it here. Love the RSP. Uh, Matt, before we let you go, when is the pre-draft version of the RSP going to be available? Well, barring any craziness, it should be like it has for the past 16 years, April 1st. So, um, you know, working on that right now. And um, for those of you who aren't aware, the RSP also donates a percentage of its proceeds since 2011 to Darkness to Light which is an organization devoted to 
um, preventing sexual abuse of children, as well as um, helping communities understand um, how to address sexual abuse when it does happen so it doesn't compound the damage on the victims. Um, so they do programs with colleges, with um, you know municipal programs, government programs, local, as well as individual basis type of training. So um, great program and proud to be given to that. Matt, I respected you from a fantasy football standpoint from when I first heard you on the astronauts. As a person, I want to say that I respect you even more now because of that. Well, I appreciate that. Um, and and certainly you guys do great work. I mean, uh, you know, Jay is someone, Jay Moyer, who's on the part of the astronauts, is a, is a guy that I, I certainly have a lot of respect for. And I enjoy doing the podcast with everybody. They're certainly knowledgeable guys. And uh, the videos you guys put out are just the, the, the video mm-hmm. content is fantastic and has been helpful to me when I need to, to look at some um, games that I, I don't have access to otherwise. And the cutups are great. Well, and Shane that shout out. <laughs> yeah, as Shane mentioned he was part of the very first annual uh, FF Honor Show that Matt Donnelly put together, and uh, certainly I think what you're saying there fits right in with what you know Matt loves and is close to his heart. And so I know I I, uh, I assume I don't want to presume to speak for you, Matt, but I assume like that would be an open invitation if Matt Wallman wanted to be a part of that next year. Absolutely, like I said, that, that that's just the Honor Show is to bring uh, a little extra awareness to all the causes that everyone in this community fights for and goes up to battle with. There's so many amazing causes in the fantasy football community. So many great people and so many people that are doing things that nobody realizes what they're doing. Um, we talked about the warrior bowl. They raised a whole whack load of money that I don't think people in North America realize what they're doing. And just like what Matt's doing there. Um, I don't, I don't think many people realize that some of that money was going to a cause uh, such as that. So that's kind of where we need to make awareness of and put a little bit of a light, especially in 2020 and 2021, the way these years have been going, shine a light on some goodness. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. that's that's what that show is about. Awesome. Well, very good. Well, for uh, for Matt Wallman, for Shane Baird, for Matt Donnelly, we definitely appreciate everybody uh, tuning in. And uh, this was the 18th episode of this. We got 32 of these, so I got 14 more to do. Look forward to seeing you on the next show with the Dynasty Vipers.